clapping. And Nathan, that's all right. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Let's worship with him right now. Amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, let's rejoice with him right now. Let's, let's join together right now. I thank you for the Holy Ghost. You're providing. Right now, you're providing. You're a God that brings strength, healing. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen, amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 15. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. We'll read two verses of Scripture from Ephesians chapter 1. The church that is at Ephesus, Paul is writing to the church that is in Ephesus. <clears throat> and he says in verse number 15, Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints. I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. I want to preach for a few moments today on this subject, you, me, and God. You, me, and God. Help us today, Lord, from your word. We thank you for the strength of God that we feel in this place today. Amen. I know that there's a healer in this house today because I feel you feel your anointing and I feel your touch. Amen. I give to you thanks and ask that your word would strengthen us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you for standing for the reading of the word. Brother Andrew Bentley yesterday in his leadership series pointed out the defining elements of kingdom leadership. And it includes what is found in this title here today. You, me, and God. The title today has a major flaw in it, and I will address the error at the end of the message and leave you to figure it out as we progress through the message. Paul acknowledges that there are two themes commonly referred to as the vertical and the horizontal relationships in relation to God, the kingdom of God, the people that are in the kingdom of God. There is a vertical relationship and there is a horizontal relationship. There's my relationship with God and my relationship with others. And we have a place in this cross section. You, me, and God. I can't define my life based on what you think. This is not a good position to start. It's not a good place to start. 
As a matter of fact, our world right now is in the throes of being so very influenced by what other people think. We have seen this based on the rise of technology. Now, <clears throat> let me not get off track, but let's just flesh out some of this based on my own personal experience since I guess I'm turning 50 in a few days. <laughs> I can remember in 1992 coming to Cal, California, coming to Cal State Bakersfield in Minot, North Dakota, my major was accounting. Can you imagine me being accounting? Terrible decision. People usually change their majors three or four times before they settle on a major. My cousin is an accountant, but I'm, I, I would not be a good accountant. So I came to Bakersfield. They did not have, a, they had a, a, a division, a concentration of accounting, but uh, I, I was kind of settled on the fact that if it wasn't gonna be a degree in accounting, then it needed to be something different. And so I decided at the time, because of computers being on the rise, this is back in the days of the 286 and 386 computers running Windows. This is way, way back. Brother McAllister and I used to do the grades at Bethel Academy. We would, when we hit enter to calculate all the grades in the reports, we would leave and come back like three hours later, and three hours later, we would have the reports. Uh, this is way back in that day. So I decided to uh, choose management information systems, which is programming and this kind of stuff. N not a good decision either. Not, not a good decision at all. I didn't like it. It was terrible. Uh, I, it just it didn't click. Uh, I didn't understand all of those languages. This was also at the time when the website pages were, were becoming prominent. As a matter of fact, one of our final uh, topics, one of our final exercises was to create a website, which you could go out and find these real cheesy templates and, and, and make a website out of it. It was real slow, very, very uh, plain and what have you, and everybody was involved in this. This was also during the time when your devices were separate. So you had a phone, which was uh, quite a contraption, and then you had a PDA, Blueberry PDA. You had all this information that you would, you would keep, your contacts, your information, your numbers, things like this, and then you had something separate with your phone, and then you had a pager as well. I mean, so you were, <laughs> you were walking around with all this stuff. You had your phone, you had your PDA, and you had your pager. And I read one study where it was so prominent that some people that couldn't afford pagers were wearing their garage door openers just to make it, <laughs> just, to, just to make it look like, man, I am technologically sound. <laughs> Uh, you had all these, per they called them peripherals. You had all these peripherals. They, they did not interconnect. <clears throat> you had your computer. You had all this stuff, all this technology. And then as technology progressed rapidly, very rapidly, to where everything now is integrated into, into this. And our lives are so very interconnected into this. Everything is connected into this. It, it was at one time that 
television was one thing, and then your phone, and then your PDA, and then your pager. It was all distinct and separate. And now in, in the phone, everything is, is right here. And so this has caused a social, technological revolution and the rise of companies like Amazon, which was interesting to hear Brother Andrew Bentley worked for Amazon. That was fascinating when it was in the early stages of growing, could have stayed on with Amazon and could have made a lot of money, but he chose rather to uh, carve out an existence that wasn't the, the grind and the money and he wanted to be involved in the kingdom of God. Amazon, things coming to the forefront. Malls are dying. They are a dying breed. Outlets are, everything is dying because everything is going to online technology. And, and now everything is interconnected, and so that's the new wave, right? Your refrigerator, Brother Bentley talked to, to us about this. The new wave is a refrigerator that has the ability to determine how much stuff is in the refrigerator. And when it reaches a low point, it can send a signal to your local <laughs> grocery store, and they can deliver it to your door, and things are working, and, and you're not having to spend the time doing all of that stuff. That's the next. That's the next horizon. It's amazing. Everything is is connected to this phone, and and that interconnectivity has made the world much much smaller. It's created some positive things and it's created some negative things, and so I have to be very very careful in my day to day life that I don't fall prey to the trap of defining my existence by what everybody else is doing or saying. We've always heard that. Our parents have always told us just because everybody is doing it doesn't mean that you have to do it, right? Has anybody ever heard that line? I heard it, and then, man, the day that came when I actually said it, I about fell over. Couldn't believe it because I thought that was the dumbest thing until I had children and realized you, 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 you feel the pressure and the influence of what other people are doing, and so you want to match and you want to, uh, you want to alter what you're doing based on what other people are doing. This is not a good place to define who we are. This is not a good place. As a matter of fact, with the rise of social media, there are some positives, but there are some very negative facts that are associated with spending too much time. I can remember sitting in church services where people were talking about how terrible the TV was because it was a time stealer. It took four to six hours of your time. Ladies and gentlemen, if every single one of us in this building here took out our phones and looked at our phone usage and the time we're spending, it would blow our minds. Thank God today in the house of God, we've unplugged from this and we've said, I'm going to the house of the Lord. One thing have I desired that will I seek after. I want to feel after God. I want his anointing to touch me. I want to disconnect from everything else and I want to connect to the king of glory. I want to worship him and I want to praise him. So there's some very negative things associated to the phone. I want to talk to you about a few of those things because our world is influenced by social media. Ben Stegner in February the 4th of 2020 
He wrote an article and he talked about imagining life without social media and falling victim to the power that social networking can have on people. And he described seven negative traits, seven negative things, some positive things, but seven drawback columns, seven things in the drawback column that can be very negative. Number one is depression and anxiety. When you browse through what everybody else is doing and seeing what everyone else is doing, you're seeing the best parts of everyone else's lives. And then you compare that to the negatives in your own life. And when you compare yourself with one another, then anxiety steps in. Social media has made this very, very easy to do. And he says in this, a recommended amount of time that he recommends on social media is a half an hour a day. Because if you're spending so much time seeing what other people are doing and you're seeing the best of their lives, they're not going to show you the worst of their lives. It can create a psychological anxiety in you that is in the drawback column of having technology. Number two, cyberbullying. On the playground, it was one thing, but when people hide behind anonymity, then they're able to say things that they would not otherwise say to your face. They could even create a fake profile and act friendly to a classmate, then later embarrass them and belittle them. These things create mental scars. In some cases, they have driven people to suicide. Cyberbullying doesn't just affect kids. Adults can become victims of online abuse. Since the screens hide our faces, you can end up being a jerk on social media and other websites without even realizing it. Ladies and gentlemen, let's be a Christian across every platform. Just because you're hiding behind a screen doesn't give you right to say stuff that is just, in some cases, ridiculous. Be what God has called you to be and be somebody that builds up, not tears down. Number three, FOMO, the fear of missing out. You see what other people are doing. It creates a fear, a form of anxiety when you are afraid that you're missing out on a positive experience that someone else is having. So you're constantly checking what other people are doing and you're measuring it up to what you're doing. And that creates FOMO. It creates a fear. And with increased social network use, there's a better chance for you to see that someone is having more fun than what you are doing right now. And that's what causes the fear of missing out. I'm not posting right now on social media, but I'm having a great time with you in the house of God. Praise God. I don't want, I don't want to be so influenced that my identity is caught up based on what I think you think I should be. That's, that's not a good place to start, ladies and gentlemen. It's not a good idea to compare yourself with one another and determine what they have, what they don't have, what they're doing, what they're not doing. You got to center yourself in something that is better, something that is greater than that, something that is deeper than that. Number four, unrealistic expectations. Most social media sites have a severe lack of online authenticity. 
People are, they're photoshopping. They're using opportunities. There's recent occurrences that have been noted presently are media influencers using the present chaos to take a picture. I'm helping someone board something up, but I just got out of the car, walked over and said, hey, can I grab that drill for just a minute? Grab the drill and acted like I was doing something with a smile so that I could post it on my social media site and show how good of a person I am in the present circumstances. That is so fake and so plastic. It is so inauthentic. Authentic. It's not even real. It's an illusion. It's a lot like sin. Sin promises a lot, looks good, but behind the scenes, it's not good. It's bad and it's evil. It's unrealistic expectations. One simple way of this mess out is for everyone to stop lying on social media. Stop lying. But in an era of Instagram influencers and YouTubers who earn millions from being inauthentic, it's not going to happen anytime soon. It's going to take somebody to say, I recognize what real reality is and God's doing great things in my life and I have an opportunity to be an influence in my world and I'm not going to let my definition of who I am and my self-worth be attached to what other people are thinking. Some of you even in this place today, you didn't worship God like you should have worshiped God because you were worried about what somebody else is thinking. That's not a good place to start. It's not a good place to start. Where you start is, I'm not worrying about what you're thinking. I'm feeling the presence of God. I'm feeling his anointing. I'm going to worship him, praise him. I'm going to say hallelujah. We'd better never get to the place where we create an unrealistic expectation in the house of God that everybody's just supposed to sit and not say anything, not lift up their hands, not lift up their voice, not magnify God, not shout unto God and dance unto God. That's unrealistic. Why? Because he's done too much for me. I'm going to praise him. I don't care what you think. I'm going to magnify him because he's brought me a mighty, mighty, mighty long way. Come on, somebody, clap your hands and love the Lord together. God's done marvelous things. He's done glorious things. He's done things that are worthy of my praise. Praise God, praise God. Some of you, hmm, let me be careful, let me be careful, let me be careful, let me be careful. Some of you want to take a little bit of the shine off Mary Ann because she's too loud. Well, if you'd open your voice, you wouldn't be hearing only Mary Ann. You would be hearing everybody else. Like that, like that, like that. Why sit back and watch somebody and then criticize them when... When you could be shouting unto the Lord. When you could be magnifying God. 
See what's happening right here? What's happening right here is you don't recognize any one person, but what you feel is a power of God and the anointing of God. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, I know. Some of you didn't like that because Sister Marianne gets on your nerves. Well, I've talked to her. She said, Pastor, I'll listen to you. I've talked to her about make a, make a, make a difference and, and make sure that everybody's together so you're not the sore thumb sticking out. But ladies and gentlemen, if nothing is happening, I guarantee you right now, She's not going to just shut up. We'll work with that. We'll work with that. Make sure all things are done in decency and order. But if the church is just going to sit stone cold and not say anything, I guarantee you there's going to be three or four folks that are going to say it can be absolutely silent in this place, but I'm not quiet. I'm not going to be quiet. I'm not going to be silent because I'm going to praise God for his excellent greatness. I'm going to praise him for his mighty acts. I'm going to praise him because I've got breath to breathe. And the word says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Amen, 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 amen. Stop, stop. Keep moving, Kevin. Keep moving. Just keep moving. I don't want to veer off on this, but man, some of y'all Listen, I've, I've, never, I've never, like, been in the world, right? That's one of the attractions and temptations of somebody raised in church. What must it be like out there, right? That's a gravitational pull on people in the church. Some of you have come from backgrounds going, man, you, you were partying. You were hanging out until all hours of the night. You were waking up with folks that you didn't even realize what was happening and who you were with. And you were in the club, you were in the bar, you were drinking, you were, you were smoking, you were hiring a kite. And, and you was having fun. Until at some point you recognized and realized that's not real fun. And somehow God, God put out an arm of mercy to you and saved you from the hell that you were in. And you come to the house of God. God fills you with the Holy Ghost. And, and you want to sit there on a pew and look around at everybody else. I'll tell you what. We better have a church that keeps our young people. Hey, man, where are you going? It's Holy Ghost party time. I'm going to the house of God. I'm going to worship God, praise God. I'm going to dance a little bit. I'm going to shout. I'm going to lift my voice. We're going to have a Holy Ghost move. God's going to break out in a great way. He's going to move. He's going to heal people. You ought to come because we're having a celebration. Praise God. Praise God. Lord, have mercy. Let me get back to my message. Negative body image. Speaking of Instagram celebrities, if you look at some of them, they're unbelievably beautiful people that wear expensive clothes on their perfectly shaped bodies. And body image is an issue for everybody. Did you know some people that work out and they're diligent will never have some of the bodies that are influencers 
on social media. And some of those people are doing stuff to their bodies that's not healthy. And so in search of that media fame, they're, they're taking unhealthy routes to appear more attractive. Surround yourself with people who love you for who you are, and you won't have to stress about Instagram beauty or social media beauty. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't put forth an effort to be healthy and fit. And apostolics are terrible at this, terrible at this, because we want to eat late at night and sit around and fellowship and talk with each other because of the good things that God has done. But we also need to provide at least some measure of effort to say, I want to be healthy. I want to do my best. But don't measure yourself up to what you see out there because that's not reality. And some of those people, they're, they're, taking, they're, they're taking photos. They have, this is a known incident a known discussion and many incidents of seeing somebody that's standing there and it looks like their their rib cage is caved in because somebody didn't do a good job of Photoshop and they took too much out or their elbow looks funny or they took out all the veins in their hands or they did all this kind of stuff and you start matching and comparing things up and people are getting anxious about the way that they look based on what they see and they develop unhealthy self-image difficulties and psychological inadequacies in their own life. This is, not a, this is not a good place to start. It's not about what you think about other people think about you. This is not a good place to position yourself and start from. The world is full of this un, uh, unhealthy sleep patterns. You think I'll just flip through this just real quick and then and then you're an hour in, and now it's stealing valuable time. And then if some knucklehead from somewhere has decided to leave you some crazy comment, now you can't sleep because you're pondering and think about stuff that really, in the broad picture of reality, doesn't even matter. I'm losing sleep over it. Well, I could say this or do this. or What am I doing? It's not even worth, <laughs> it's not even worth pondering. I'm losing sleep about it. And then number seven, he said general addiction. He said this, social media can be more addictive than cigarettes and alcohol. It has a powerful draw for many people that leads them to checking in at all times without even thinking about it. Did you know, have you ever been sitting somewhere and you thought your phone went off or it buzzed and you look at it and it hasn't done a thing? You, you, have, you are so programmed to, and it's not even doing anything, but your body's conditioned to, that's not a, that is not a healthy place to be. When we, when we are, when, when there's so much pressure to be defined by others, this is not good. I want you to notice just a few examples of individuals who no doubt felt the heat, but they refused to melt under pressure, severe pressure. The Hebrew children, can you imagine what it's, what it's like to have everyone bow and, and you're the only three that are standing and the immense pressure that must be associated with that, but yet they refuse, refuse to say, 
I'm going to be defined by what everyone else is doing. I'm, I'm, I am a, a Hebrew. <laughs> I'm defined by God. I'm, I'm in captivity in a Babylonian land, but I, I'm not going to bow no matter what the pressure is. Look at blind Bartimaeus. Wasn't he pressured to shut up? But blind Bartimaeus knew that Jesus is passing by, Brother Jamal, and I'm going to make sure that if Jesus passes by, I'm going to connect him. He started lifting his voice and shouting. They told him to shut up, and, and he cried the louder, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus recognized it. He didn't bow down. He wasn't defined by people. Can you imagine if he would have just shut up? He would have walked away a blind man because he would have been defined by everybody else around him. But he walked away not blind, but he walked away with his sight. The woman with the issue of blood for 12 years spent everything that she had on doctors and was none the better, and she made her way through a crowd, pushed her way, fought her way, clawed her way to try to touch the hem of his garment because she knew that on the hem of his garment, the Hebrews were told from way, way back out of Egypt, Egyptian bondage that if you put a blue ribbon around the borders of your garment to remember the Lord, that he brought you out of bondage, that became associated with healing, that blue ribbon reminded and it became associated with God's delivering power and God's healing hand and she said if I can just but touch the hem of his garment I can be made whole if she would have been influenced and defined by the people around her she would have walked away with the same problem but she walked away cured of her problem because she didn't give in to peer pressure don't be defined by what others think about you. It's not a good place to start. You don't start there. Praise God, you don't start there. They didn't start there. What about the worshipers of Jesus shouting Hosanna in the highest? And the Pharisees, the chief priests said, tell your disciples to quiet. And Jesus said, if these don't praise me, the rocks will immediately cry out. Amen. Don't let what others think about you influence who you are. Praise God. It doesn't matter how they're going to define you. That's not who you are. That's not who you are. And let me just say this. You're never going to get away from the fact that they're going to define you. They are. They are. And if you live in that world, you're going to live in a miserable world. There's got to be something else that defines me. There's got to be something else that anchors me. Amen. It's not a good place to start. And not only, not only... Do we have difficulties with how others think about us? I'm to love my neighbor as myself, but my definition of self-worth must not come from others. There must be a higher standard. But not only do we face the pressure from others, but many times we are the hardest on ourselves. It's only supposed to be a 30-minute message, but we're only having one service today, so I'm just going to spend some time here. Sometimes when people get themselves in problems and difficulties, the unique position of a pastor is to try to make everything work. The, the position of the pastor is not to take sides. Did everyone hear that? If, if, if you understand that and I say that, we, we, we'll, we'll make it. But sometimes when there are situations that arise, the instinctive thing to do is to try to, to get some bifurcation and taking sides in something. My, my job here 
is to make sure in, in whatever way, to the, to, the, to the end extreme, to make sure that people make it. That's my job. My job is not to become your enemy unless you just don't want the things of God and then you may have to go somewhere else because we're about the kingdom of God. But it's not my, my job is to try to bring reconciliation. That's the biblical record is to bring reconciliation to things. And some people have problems and circumstances and failures. And being a pastor for 10 years, there are some egregious failures and mistakes that I, I've had the opportunity to experience. It's not a good place. It's not a good thing. But it's the position of the church to bring reconciliation, not to bring discord and disunity. And so I, I'm, I'm going to make sure people are accountable. You got to be accountable. You can't do this. This is not the right activity. This is not a, a godly thing. But I am not going to kill them when in fact I've got problems myself that I can look back on and say, God, if it was not for your mercy, where in the world would I be? Thank God you looked beyond all of my stupidity and my failures and my difficulties, and you didn't judge me by that. What you judged me by is are you going to get up and make it? Are you going to be accountable? Are you going to live for God? You got to be careful, saying of God. You don't put yourself in Moses' seat of judgment when God has forgiven you for so stinking much that it's unbelievable. But all of a sudden, you're the judge, jury, and executioner on everybody's failure. You need to beat your way down to an altar and say, God, forgive me. I, 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 I failed to recognize the gift of forgiveness that you provided to me. And died for praise God praise God we're so hard on ourselves and maybe if we get to the point we're not so hard on ourselves we're full of stinking pride and arrogancy because a person that recognizes how much God has forgiven them is a very forgiving person not gonna let somebody come in here and tear up Jack not, sorry if your name's Jack. That's just, I'm sorry. Not going to let that happen because we want revival. We, we don't want disunity and confusion. We want revival. But we're also on the side of people who have difficulties and failures and problems, and that's where we're different than the world because the world would slaughter, destroy, assassinate, and kill. What the church is about is redemption, salvation, mercy, forgiveness, and grace. I am hardest on myself. We're so hard on ourselves. This is not a good place to start either. It's not good to worry about what other people are thinking about you and then our own, our own understanding of ourself is not good. We have so many self-esteem issues and insecurities, things that we put out there to try to try to cover. We act certain ways and it's trying to, did you know people that are humorous are usually covering up uh, a background of a lot of dysfunction? It's known, it's studied. A lot of comedians use the art of humor because they've got stuff in their backgrounds that the only thing left to do is laugh about it. We've got some people in our church, they're pretty humorous folks. 
and, and, and that was a coping mechanism because when they were going home, home wasn't a good place. Home wasn't very good. We've got all these, these humanity issues and, and how I think of, there is no better place to catch this dilemma than Paul in Romans chapter 7. Because Paul describes, he describes him, this is, Paul, this is supposed to be a bastion of success. And Paul is saying, I know what the law is, but I can't keep it. And if the power of sin is within me, keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. That's Paul speaking. I need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I, I will it. I want to do it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, then I, I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. And so my decisions, such as they are, they don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me, and it gets the better of me every time. And it happens regularly, and it becomes predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I delight in what God is doing, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. And parts of me covertly rebel just when I least expect it, and that is what takes charge. And he ended all of this by saying, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? not good to worry about what other people are thinking about you and it's not good to start from a position of what you think about you I've talked to those people I know I need to get back but I just don't think God can forgive me I prayed with a guy right here he was face down prostrate on the floor and God was doing great things in his life he was speaking in tongues I prayed with him for a long time thought we're making progress and he sat up right there and he said, I know what I need to do. I need to get back. But I've just done some things. I don't think God can forgive me. His, his self-definition, his lack of self-esteem. When, when God, if, hey, hey, if God is filling you and renewing you with the Holy Ghost, that's an indication, right? That's an indication that he can work this out. But because of their own definition, because of the own their own voice in their head, the way that they defined themselves. Man, that can go a myriad of ways. All of us here are humanity, and there's no perfect case scenarios. There are things, parents, situations that have let us down, and we harbor those things. We internalize those things. Those, those things can become unresolved issues that define who we are. We're stupid. We're dumb. We're not smart enough. We're not intelligent enough. Did you know that I spent, I spent a lot of money? and a lot of time going through. I, 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 let me just, maybe you don't know this. Let me just, let me just throw this on you. I, I, when I finished high school, I was dumber than a rock. I was doing those paces things, right? I was working from 11 o'clock at night to 4 o'clock in the morning and then getting up and going to the Bible Baptist Christian school that had a total of 13 kids from kindergarten to high school with three of us high schoolers. I was paying for my tuition. I, so, 
This was not good. Jamal, I'm so, I'm so proud of you. Jamal started, he went to a technical school. Uh, he went to a place that he was supposed to intern, and he went there, and you're supposed to intern for a period of time, and then after the intern, hopefully they hire you. Well, the job that he's working at, industrial, uh, what? Industrial Medical Group, they liked him so much that they said, we know your internship is not over, but we want to hire you now. Is that okay? Well, of course he said it's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. He's got a job. He's working full time, and he's got a plan. You, you know what that? You know what? You know how much that make, man. Gotta be careful. I don't pop some buttons here. This was a bus kid coming out of the streets saying, "I'm going to let God do great things in my life." And he's worked for it. And God's starting to bless him and elevate him and show him favor. I'm telling you, everything that we have worked for is sitting right there. And God's, God's still going to work. God's still going to work. I guarantee you. He said, I've got a plan. I'm going to become an RN. I'm, I'm going somewhere. Why? Because God, God, is, God has got a plan. The rest of the world may have plans. The rest of the world may have answers and reasons. But somehow, as a T-Rocket kid coming on a bus, there was a connection made that I'm not going to let others define my life. And I'm, I'm not going to look down on myself either because that's not a good place to start. I'm going to let God define his purpose for me and what he has for my life. That is fantastic. And that should be the message that we rally around. I don't care where you come from. When you come into the family, of God. God's got a destiny. God's got a plan for your life. You can come from the prison system. You can come from the hood. You can come from over here and over there, but God's going to use us all together so that we can be an influence in our community and in our world and say that things don't have to be uh, disunified and fractured and fragmented, but God's able to bring unity. was I? Oh, I was back to my education. I got sidetracked. Sorry. When I graduated from high school, I was, I started Bible quizzing. I thought, you know, I'll do that. I started memorizing verses in Romans, the book of Romans. And, and then while I was out here on a trip visiting my aunt in Bakersfield, I met Jeremy Frost at the time. And so then I, uh, I went home and I decided I'm going to make that call. Ah, sweaty. She didn't act like she was interested at all uh, when I was here. And so then we're at general conference. It's a Bible quizzing. There's a Bible quiz banquet. Whew. I picked up the phone. Man, she's out of my league. There's no way. Uh, and she said yes, and from there, things moved rapidly, about six months, I don't know, something like that. It was nine months, and then it got truncated to six months, and, and then here we are married. I'm working in this, 
I'm working in our family business that was a janitorial business. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, you can make a lot of money doing janitorial work if it's just you and your family. Because if you hire people to do janitorial work, that's not good because it's pretty dirty work. And so our family had created this business that was pretty good. I mean, it's pretty good. We were making a living at it. But I recognized, do I want to be a janitor for the rest of my life? I don't know if this is a good idea. I went to an adult learning school for a year to learn how to write an essay. I didn't know how to add integers, right? Negative 2 plus a negative 2. I don't know how to multiply them. For a year, I went to an adult learning school <laughs> to learn all this stuff. There was a teacher there by the name of Julie Smezrud that was just, just absolutely phenomenal. One of those teachers that creates a lifelong influence in my life. And she, she, spoke, in, she spoke into my own story. Because my own story was, all I've done is want to play basketball, run, do all this kind of stuff, throw a ball around. But this lady is telling me, you can do what you're trying to achieve. Just keep working at it. Don't keep telling yourself that you can't do it and, and if you wasted too much time and you're not gonna be able to accomplish this, you can do it. And she spoke, she spoke affirmation into my world as, as a 19-year-old. As a she spoke affirmation into my, should have been done a long time ago, but I wasn't interested and I had my own problems. But she spoke to me. And, and so then, and then I went to Minot State University after a year. I went right out of learning in the adult learning center how to do integers, right into intermediate algebra, which is not smart, <laughs> with a teacher by the name of Irmala Madhawk. That wasn't smart either. I couldn't understand a word she's saying, <laughs> and I can't understand the math either. I'm, I'm in trouble. I got a C in the class. I said, I, I'm going back. I went back and I got into another class. I was not going to settle for a C. I went and got into another class. I dropped out of that class because my grades were terrible. And I got into another class. I'm, I'm not going to let this conquer me. I'm going I'm, I'm to learn this. And so I went and got into another class. I finally got a teacher that it clicked. And after, after one C and then three failures, I got into a teacher where I walked out of that class with an A. And then from that moment, from, from, from going to an adult school, going through undergraduate, going through master's program, and, and, and even now dabbling around in stuff, it, it's been to prove to myself that I'm not dumb. See, everybody else, oh, he's smart. He uses big words. He likes the dictionary. But inside, I'm I'm, I'm not very smart. I need, to, I, need to, I need to try to do the best that I can because I've been defined by how good you can shoot a basketball or hit a ball and that kind of stuff. And that's kind of defined me. And I didn't think I had the goods to do anything else. And, and all that money and that time and that effort is to prove to myself. And now 50 years, I don't care if you think I'm smart or not. It doesn't matter to me. I'm not spending any more money. And I'm, <laughs> I am very settled in where I am. I am happy with who I am. Okay. And I'm not going to do anything else to try to prove to you that I am smart. See, we, 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 we can be our own worst enemies when we start with there. Where we need to start, Paul, Paul wrapped it up and he said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? 
You, me, and God. And God is really where we need to start. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 6, Paul said this when he described his own life. He said in chapter 5 verse 6, when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Peradventure a good man would even dare to die. You might find a righteous man. You might even find a good man. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Ladies and gentlemen, this is where we need to start. Christ died for me. He's not somebody waiting to bash me over the head, but he is pursuing me. He's reaching for me. He loves me. He wants to define who I am. He wants... This is where we need to start. God has a plan. He's got a destiny for you. He's got a purpose for your life. He wants to use you in the kingdom of God. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. I'm telling you, God's got an expected end for you. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 3, the Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. You know what God's doing in this place today? He is drawing you. Praise God. He wants to define who you are by his unfailing love. Hallelujah you from everlasting to everlasting God's got a purpose for you a destiny for you a direction for you don't listen to what other people are saying don't listen to what you're saying to yourself but run to a place where God can speak into your world and speak into your spirit and into your emotions and into your mind and say while you were a sinner I died for you because you have value Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3, even whom also we all have had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, for by grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is where I should start defining my life. As a matter of fact, this is where I should define every situation in my life, decisions, circumstances, Life situations, ministry, calling. It starts with God defining my life. And Paul, though he was an individual that said all of my failures and the things that I'm saying to myself, Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 20, he put it so eloquently. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me. He loved me. Sometimes we even have a hard time saying that. God, how could you love me? God loved you. 
God loved you. He reached for you. Come on, anybody have a testimony here today? That where, where would you have been had not God, who is rich in mercy? gives us, Sister Jeannie, the privilege to be here in the house of God today when other people who don't have what we have here today, what gives me that right? Because God loved me. He loved me. He loved me. He reached for me. And he's the one that he gave himself for me. And he's the one that wants to define Praise God, as we stand together in the house of God tonight, this is a key point in the message here, so give me your attention while you're standing. Do you recognize the error in the message? The problem? The problem is we start based on what other people think of us then based on what we think of ourselves and then what God thinks of us. And it's in the wrong order. It should be what God thinks of us and then based on what God thinks of me, how I think of myself and then based on how God thinks of me and how I think of myself, how I think others should think of me. You got to put God as the first priority. You're going to, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to be miserable if you're worried about what other people think and if you listen to your own voice in your own head. Man, man, man. But if you can get God as the central component of, the, of what defines my life and his word that defines my life, that he reaches for me, that he calls me, that he loves me, that he has plans for me. Then all of life changes. Man, God has made a divine appointment in this place today to meet with you and say, why don't you put me in the right place? right position of everything you're involved in right now. You feel lost? I'm a God that saves you. You need direction? I'm a God that can bring counsel to you. Amen. The Holy Ghost is in this place today as we lift up our voice and we worship God together. We magnify God together. God, I want you to be Jesus, be the center. I want you to be the center. Let things flow out of an encounter with you. Let decisions flow. Not based on what other people are thinking. That's not a good place to start. But based on what you would have in my life and the purpose that you would have in my life. Let things flow from that place, God. Hallelujah. Tell me, tell me, tell me. Wrap your arms around me today. While we were yet sinners, you died for the ungodly. Show me today that you love me. Show me today that you bring encouragement and peace to me because I may be in a place that is not peaceful. And I may be in a place. I may be in a place of 
questions and difficulties, but let that encounter with you. Out of that, let me define myself differently. I'm called of God. I'm called of God. I have purpose. I've got destiny. And then out of that, God, help me reach and impact other people.